What up, y'all? Welcome to Queer Walk, the podcast, the insurgent bi-weekly audio syllabus hosted for and by queer women of color, queer folks of color. I am Money, and this is going to be another solo episode. Uh, Nikita is, you know, working and being <laughs> exploited and crushed under capitalism. So I'm coming to y'all this week solo. And this week, I am your friendly reminder that Black and Asian solidarity, uh, Blasian solidarity, is not a new concept. Um, With, you know, all the violence and the events of the past couple weeks, folks have really been talking about, like, this concept as if it's new, as if Black folks, Asian folks, um, Pacific Islanders, Desi folks have not struggled together against racism for decades and generations. And as someone who I'm just, I've one of the people who has been most influential in the way I think about uh, politics is Grace Lee Boggs, who um, if folks, yeah, if y'all don't know about Grace Lee, please look her up. Um, she is one of the dopest American activists, um, of across era, like her work, um, her work transcended eras of movement building. So, um, and she, she's been just like a formative person in my political understanding. And so I just wanted to start the episode off with that, that black and Asian solidarity ain't new, um, get into the history of us struggling together and surviving together, um, living in community with one another. And on that note, I'm going to go ahead and drop this intro. Love your chocolate demeanor and your cocoa kisses. I see your flow from a distance. Your vibe incite my submission. I give you all of me. Want to make you proud of me. We see the God in all you do. Your light is harmony. Hey, every type, darkest night, brightest light, I'm loving your soul They hate you, replace you, taint you, but know that you go Worldwide from every continent, I just want you to jig a little bit Move them hips, feel that bliss, hug your sis, make a fist Don't resist your temptation, you amazing, no limitation My favorite in this matrix, we move by your vibration And that's love, I hope you hear that on the daily, cause baby you love I hope you hear that on the daily, cause baby you love I hope you hear that on the daily cause baby you love, you love Alright y'all, so um, now that you're here listening, I'm going to tell you where you can find us when you're not listening You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Queer Walk Pod. that's P-O-D You can find us on Facebook, which is a little more active now because I've figured out the whole, you know Double posting, don't laugh at me, but I was having a lot of issues connecting the Instagram to the Facebook. And so now that that is solved and I figured it out, y'all can find us on Facebook at Queer Walk the Podcast or Facebook.com slash Queer Walk Pod, P-O-D. You can follow us on Tumblr where it all began at QueerWalk.com. And you can listen everywhere you get your podcasts. That's SoundCloud, Stitcher, CastBox, Pocket Cast, um, Google Podcasts, and yes, Spotify. We're now on Spotify. So put a homie on and let them know you can stream us everywhere. Now, while me and Nikita are the curators and hosts of this podcast, you all really create it and make it possible. So there are two ways that you can continue to create and make it possible. And the first is by loving us out loud. You can rate us on whatever podcast platform you listen to us on. You can review us, uh, request a topic because we need it, or a Queer Walk or Queer Pock of the Week. You can repost the episodes when we put them up. You can retweet us when we're out on the Twitter streets. And you can reply. Use the hashtag QueerWOC to talk all things the podcast to let us know what you thought about the topics or um, mental moment, the word, the curve chronicles. Or just to, you know, share general stuff with us that you would like us to see. Use the hashtag QueerWOC. You can also send us an email or submit your Curved Chronicles at QueerWalkPod at gmail.com. The second way that you can continue to contribute to QueerWalk is 
by giving us your money. (laughs) You can do that one of two ways. The first is over on the Cash App, which is dollar sign Queer Walk Pod. That's P-O-D. And the second way is by becoming a sustainer. You can head over to the Patreon at patreon.com slash queerwalkpod and become a patron. We have some suggested tiers that you can donate at, but you can donate as much or as little as your pockets allow. And I did create a Discord for the patrons. We going to see how that's going to work. I should have listened to my uh, teenage clients a long time ago and got on Discord. I would have had this figured out by now. But it's still a work in progress. So anybody who knows about Discord, please hit me up and give me a little quick rundown of like, okay, boom, this is how it goes. So we can get the Patreon Discord popping. All right, so I'm going to move it on along to the Queer Walk, Queer Walk, Queer Walk of the Week segment. The Queer Walk or Queer Pock of the Week segment is where we highlight, celebrate, give flowers to some queer woman of color or queer person of color who is just doing the damn thing, <laughs> who is, uh, you know, organizing, creating something dope, has achieved something amazing. Or just somebody we really fuck with and want to highlight what they're doing. And today is no different. So actually, this queer walk slash queer pock of the week is a group um, that I really want to highlight and let y'all know about. Um, So the group that is the queer pock of the week this week is Utopia Washington, which has really been a group that has felt like a place that could be home for me being out here in Washington. So I'll tell y'all a little bit about Utopia and um, events that they've had that I've been to out here and the work that they've continued to do um, since 2009. So Utopia is an acronym that stands for United Territories of Pacific Islanders Alliance. Um, And so that's shortened to Utopia. It's a group that has been together serving the larger King County, so like Seattle, Kent area, since 2009, uh, that was started and is currently ran and operated by queer and trans folks of color. Um, It's a grassroots organization that that continues to survive off of uh, donations and volunteer efforts. And they're doing some really dope work. So before I get into that, I'll talk a little bit about um, their like founding and what they've been doing. So um, Utopia, like I said, is led by queer and trans uh, Pacific Islanders, uh, folks of color. It was founded by women of color and uh, Fafaine. And I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. <laughs> it's a Samoan word. Fafaine is like a loose translation to... Um, to in the manner of a femme, you know, Fafaine is exactly how it sounds. And this uh, Fafaine is actually uh, recognized like third gender in Samoa. It's, you know, with the Western lens, we try to collapse it under a trans identity, but it really is a culturally specific uh, word to Samoa. And um, yeah, and so that identity is a cultural, culturally specific one. And yeah, so... Those folks saw a need to do community work through an intersectional lens, as queer women of color do, <laughs> and that that just wasn't the case. There was, like, queer things happening, there were of color and Pacific Islander things happening, but a space specifically that was trans, affirmative, inclusive, and queer women of color led uh, was lacking. And so these founding women created that space with Utopia. They make a point to share that Their cultural identity is an integral role in the way that they organize and fight for liberation for queer and trans folks of color in the King County area. So, you know, I live. The current executive director and Fafaine leader is uh, Taffy Johnson. Um, And since Taffy's, like, you know, tenure as executive director... She noticed that there was an influx of queer and trans uh, Pacific Islanders like moving to this area um, and in search for like different opportunities and being met with inequity. Right. So since her tenure as executive director, Utopia has really targeted 
supporting Pacific Islanders and queer people of color broadly who are pushed into sex work or maybe choose to do sex work but just don't have any support or a um, safe community in that work. They support queer and trans folks of color who are in low-paying positions or positions that are like gig economy and contract-type jobs um, and have specifically lately been uh, focused on access to health care for sex workers and low-wage workers. So... Just doing amazing work. And this is this is why I wanted to make them Queer Pock of the Week. Because Utopia, since I've been out here, has been doing the most visible outreach around COVID of any, any, any organization that I've seen. Um, so my homie Rima told me about Utopia before I moved out here as like a place I should check out um, to just, you know, find community, find people to connect with and I'm so glad she told me about them but she didn't even have to tell me about them because just being around Tacoma driving up to Seattle you just they have such a presence you just see their flyers um their logo is so eye-catching and dope they co-sponsor a lot of events some that I've been to that I'll tell y'all a little bit about. So the first the first Utopia event I went to was actually a COVID testing. It was outside in a parking lot at, at um, a local high school. And it was the most folks of color I have seen in one place since being here. And yeah, they gave they gave me masks. They gave me hand sanitizers. They gave me a little baggie of snacks um, <laughs> to take with me after getting tested. And it was just a drive-through testing site, pop-up testing that they were doing as an organization. Um, the next thing that they had that I went to was uh, a mutual aid type event where they were providing people food who were struggling with food insecurity right now, um, which a lot of folks are because, especially queer folks of color, because we're disproportionately impacted by poverty and COVID. So um, they were doing like food deliveries, food drop-offs. Um, I volunteered there. And most recently, I was able to be vaccinated because of the work of Utopia. Um, they are actively vaccinating the community, meaning queer folks of color. Um, and I, yeah, I was on a wait list through, you know, my health insurance, the official state, whatever, whatever, what tier I'm in, whatever. I would have been vaccinated like probably in April. And thanks to Utopia, because I did qualify, you know, I was in the tier that was being vaccinated. They had a, um, they co, they co-partnered with, uh, you know, a hospital, whatever, outreach group and specifically set up. Uh, COVID vaccinations for queer folks of color. So I got to get vaccinated way before I would have been able to through the quote unquote traditional means, um, thanks to this queer of color uh, grassroots organization. So I am fully vaccinated now, thanks to Utopia. And just I just wanted to shout them out and send so, so, so much love to them and all of the amazing work they're doing to make sure that our community has what they need to get through this um, pandemic. So y'all can check them out on all social media at Utopia WA, like Washington, at Utopia WA. And yeah, check them out, y'all. And support. You can, uh, if you're in this area, you can volunteer with them, but you can always donate, you know? <laughs> Donations are always helpful. Right, I'm gonna move it on along to community contributors. So wow, wow. <laughs> so the community contributors segment is the segment where we highlight y'all, the community that makes Queer Walk possible. So first, I want to give a huge shout out to our new patron, Sarah. Thank you so much, Sarah, for coming through with the coinage to make Queer Walk possible. And becoming a sustainer over on the Patreon. And if you want to be like Sarah and become a sustainer of Queer Walk the Podcast, head on over to patreon.com slash queerwalkpod. All right. And our borders are fake shout outs. Okay. So thank you for the correction. Pacoima is Pacoima, right? I'm saying it right now. I got it. Okay. Thank y'all. 
<laughs> I got the message. I got the phonetic pronunciation of y'all tagging Queer Walk. So thank you <laughs> for that. And our new cities that showed up in our top 10 on the past since the last episode. Oh, gosh. I'm going a, I'm to a butcher these two. I'm going to get in trouble. Okay, the first one is Staunton, Virginia. I think it's Staunton. Staunton, Virginia. So shout out to Staunton. Thank y'all for listening. Um, and if it's Stanton, I'm sorry. It's it's just blame it on the New York. Oh gosh. <laughs> the next city um is Selkirk, Canada. This is in Canada. Selkirk? Selkirk, Canada. I'm gonna say it with confidence. Selkirk, Canada. Thanks for listening to Queer Walk. <laughs> and last, but of course not least, Minote, Minote, Minoir, North Dakota. Do I pronounce the T? Min- <laughs> oh my God, this is so embarrassing. I promise I can read y'all. Um, Minot, North Dakota. That's the pronunciation I'm sticking with, Minot. All right. So thank y'all for listening as well. I can't believe we have listeners in North Dakota. I've never even been to North Dakota. It's, that's still the wildest part of podcasting to me, that somebody somewhere in a place I've never been has listened to me on occasion. So thank y'all for continuing to support Queer Walk. Oh, my gosh. This is the 102nd episode. Wow. Okay, and now I'm going to get on in to the mental moment with me, Dr. Money. (laughs) Um, In this segment, if this is your uh, first listen to Queer Walk, this is where I like to um, talk through some mental health tidbit, something that I'm seeing as a theme coming up in my sessions, or maybe just some stuff that I want to put y'all on to that will hopefully make days more bearable to get through. So today I want to talk about reconnecting with friends. So I feel like this is like a spinoff of a mental moment I did in the past about how to uh, re-spark a conversation that may have dried up. Um, But this is more, I'm thinking more specifically about how to reconnect after losing touch with a friend. And I want to say that this is inspired by um, me reconnecting with a friend. I have a best friend uh, that I met in college, Melissa. Hey, Melissa, boo, I know you're listening. (laughs) Um, And we were like, when I tell y'all we were inseparable, like she was the, the first best friend I really had in my life. I moved around a lot as a kid. I was a weirdo, (laughs) Um, a nerd, all those things. I just, it wasn't easy for me to make friends, which is kind of a shock for folks who know me now because they're like, oh my gosh, you're you're like very social. I was very social, but I didn't have many close friends. Um, And Melissa really was my first uh, close friend. And yeah, you know, I stayed at Auburn for undergrad and my master's program. So we were like, really, really good friends for seven-year friendship just just off the strength of college. And then after moving back to New York, after my master's program, um, you know, her starting a career, me starting a PhD program, we really lost touch. Um, we went from, you know, talking every day to talking like once a semester, <laughs> once a year, Um And after seven years of really close friendship, that's such a hit to a friendship. And so recently she came up to Seattle and we got to see each other, uh, you know, did COVID approved activities and really uh, reconnected. And ever since then, it's just been like back, right? Like we back like we never left. And it just really made me think about how much I've missed our friendship in the time that that we were both wrapped up with other things that I got so sucked into doing like uh, the PhD program that really I could only see what was right there in front of me Um, and how, how deeply, deeply meaningful her friendship is to me. And so this made me think of, uh, this made me just think about the past year and how easy it is to lose touch with somebody when you're going through some things 
or even when you're not going through some things and just, you know, life picks up or a global pandemic, (laughs) a global pandemic shuts down your ability to go to their house. Right. So um, I created an acronym, of course, art, the art of reconnecting after you've lost touch with someone. So the A in art stands for acknowledge the time that has passed. Um, this, I mean, this is the very first thing, right? You don't want to reach out as if nothing has happened or worst case scenario, the hey stranger. Uh-uh. <laughs> like, oh my gosh. That is so off-putting, right? So this could be really simple. Just an acknowledgement of no blame necessary. Just... I know it's been a while or I know it's been, you know, X amount of time. However, I miss you or this is still a relationship that's really important to me. Um, I'm I'm just want to reconnect. Maybe even name why now like that might help as an acknowledgement of uh, I know your birthday is coming up and I was thinking about you. It's Mother's Day, and I know you lost your mom a couple years ago. So just wanting to send you some virtual hugs You know, just an acknowledgement of why you're reaching out now and that time has passed. So the R in art is reintroduce yourselves to each other. Um, Be really personal. Share life updates of what's happened. Ask about life updates from the person you've lost touch with. Um, Make, you know, the... of. a basic therapeutic skill, make the questions open-ended to invite them to share. Talk about what hobbies you're into now. Are you into new things? Um, You know, what's good with you now? Maybe you've been doing a lot of self-work and you experience things differently than you did before. Reintroduce yourself to the person. Um, Consider if there's any, like, outstanding conflicts, like why y'all lost touch in the first place, or any, like, hurt feelings. Um, I told y'all about my friend Melissa. Um, You know, we both was kind of feeling some things about not being as close over the past few years. So we, you know, we talked about that. Like, I can't believe I wasn't at your graduation. I can't believe I wasn't at your defense. I can't believe my baby just, you know, it's like acknowledging these things, um, Don't leave things lingering. That never helps for um, rebuilding intimacy or trust in a relationship. So address what is and um, resolve it. And last but not least, the T in the art of reconnecting is talk through a plan to stay connected. Okay, you know, I realized this from um, meeting folks when I was in college and grad school from other countries that... Americans have like this shorthand that is very vague and not really actionable of like, we should catch up sometime or let's get coffee sometime. Let's keep in touch. (laughs) And we don't ever actually follow through on those things. So talk through how you're going to stay connected. Right. So um, what like asking something like, what are you doing on Sundays? Can I call you on Sunday afternoons? schedule the next time y'all are gonna catch up or meet up I have a friend group that we're all kind of all over the country in different places and we do a writing group together right so you know once a month one of us takes responsibility for organizing getting us all together for a writing group so it's like okay we happen on the zoom link who's sending out the zoom link make it uh, actual plan. Um, don't leave it hangering of like, this was nice. Let's keep in touch. Uh, it, it takes work to maintain relationships. So how are you going to schedule actually maintaining this relationship? So you're not having to do this reconnection thing again next year or in two years and five years, right? If this is a, a friendship that you really want to maintain, You got to put work into it. So just a quick rundown again. The art of how to reconnect after losing touch. A is acknowledge the time has passed. R is reintroduce yourselves to each other. And T, talk through a plan to stay connected. All right, y'all. So 
Here is where we would usually do the leftist lesbian luminary labor lecture with Nikita, which is where she would break down some social justice jargon, some current political goings on for us. But Nikita's not here today. So I'm hijacking her um <laughs> her word. And I just really wanted to talk about this concept um, that I think might be helpful given the times right now. So last week, this is also kind of building off my past um, mental moment. So last week, last week, we bi-weekly, last episode, (laughs) I talked about uh, recognizing our strengths and being able to list our strengths just as easily as we're able to list our, our things that we're struggling with, right? So this is kind of building on that idea. I also just wanted to um, open, I hope this is like opening a conversation and I really want to hear what y'all think about this. I'm in this weird space right now of like trying to hold myself together while also really, really trying to be there for students um, through this time who are also seeing clients. So it's just so many levels of caregiving and caretaking that I'm doing right now. So what I wanted to talk about was vicarious resilience, vicarious resilience. So y'all probably like, what the fuck is that, Montanique? So um, I think a concept that we probably are really familiar with is vicarious trauma or other words that people have used for it is um, empathic stress, uh, compassion fatigue, I see a lot of people talking about being empaths and being overwhelmed and stuff like that, you know? So, so secondary trauma essentially is what uh, vicarious trauma means. Um, and this is a, <laughs> a, a therapeutic concept that has become like popular as folks talk about the impact of trauma. So, um, I just wanted to like give a definition, a working definition, so we understand what it is on here. So this, uh, th- this is one of these older terms. I think it comes out of research from like the '80s, and the word really started being used in like the '90s, like '95 or so, in trauma research. So vicari- vicarious trauma refers to a transformation. In a trauma workers, like a person who's witnessing a trauma of another person, um, inner experience that results in a reaction or engagement with the trauma that feels like your own, right? So essentially, you're not the person who experienced the trauma, but witnessing it, working with it, supporting folks through it. Um, has shifted something internally for you so much that you start to take on symptoms of dealing with trauma. Um, That's what vicarious trauma is. So there's a lot of like research about this, about how vicarious trauma has impacted people's self-esteem, people's like cognitive uh, abilities, like the way we even think about stuff, memories, feelings, uh, especially like therapists and nurses. That's where the most research has happened. But because we live in such a public way now, like since, since the 90s, since that research has happened, we witness a lot of things all the time. Like the constantness of news, the in-our-faceness of other people's lives and the amount of people's lives that we're exposed to. I mean, even even outside of our own communities, we witness a lot of traumas. Um, Traumas with a big T, like incidents that happen, and traumas with a small T, like like, uh, patterns and situations that feel violent. And so a lot of us understand vicarious trauma, right? Like we understand the compassion fatigue that comes along with seeing things constantly happen, especially those of us who live in the margins. Um, I was talking to somebody earlier today and it was just like, when every week something is happening, (laughs) you know, you get like burnout of empathy. Like I don't have any more to give. Um, And so... 
I really wanted to, uh, you know, just bring like a ray of sunshine through the storm clouds of of being there. Like when when you're in so many marginalized groups, sometimes it's really hard to see the sunshine through the storm clouds. And as people do talk about solidarity, what um, being an ally, what being in solidarity looks like uh, these weeks, I wanted to offer you all the language of vicarious resilience. So the same way we take on folks' stressful consequences, you know, like the stressful impacts of trauma, we also take on and mirror each other's strengths, each other's coping skills, and each other's hope, um, each other's celebration. Or y'all know one of my favorite um, phrases by Alexis Pauline Gums is, the ways that we're all fragrantly alive in the sight of our ancestors. So before I talk specifically about vicarious uh, resilience, I want to explain a little bit about what resilience is. So I always like my shorthand for resilience is like the bounce back ability (laughs) that you develop after, after something It doesn't have to be quite traumatic. It could just be something hard happened, right? So your bounce back ability. But the the therapeutic definition uh, of resilience is the ability for someone based on past or current adversity to positively adapt to challenges, right? So like I said, bounce back ability, (laughs) Um, I also wanted to highlight some, so sometimes especially when talking about kids in schools and um, people use words like grit and resilience interchangeably or like fortitude or whatever, like, like it's a character trait, like you are resilient. Therefore we can keep piling the shit on and, and you'll be all right. That is not what is meant by the concept of resilience. So as I read that um, definition, that um, ability to, Uh, positively adapt to life's challenges. Resilience is a a process, right? It's It's a description of how you respond in the face of adversity. It's not you resilient or you not resilient. We have resilience. Um, We can, you know, enact resilience, but uh, it's not it's not this all or nothing thing. Like, oh, you ain't you ain't bounce back. It's <laughs> it's it's much more of a process. Like, you know, like the Big Sean song. Last night took an L, but tonight I bounce back. Like, you know, it's it's um how you cope with adverse um situations. And as queer folks of color, we have a lot of adverse situations, <laughs> so we have a lot of opportunities to uh to experience resilience. Um. And so there's this therapist, researcher, sociologist, Pilar Hernandez. I just thank you, Pilar, for all of your work in in the field. Um, I, she's a person that I cite so much. Um, just having another radical woman of color doing research gives me a lot of hope. And um, she's the one who coined the term vicarious resilience. So I wanted to tell y'all about this article um, that she published in 2007 So what she did was, uh, along with her co-authors, was just like an exploration of people who had experienced political violence, right? So we we know what political violence is. I don't need to explain that to Queer Walk listeners. But any any systematic (laughs) violence or oppression against a person just because of an identity they hold, right? So she did this uh, survey of trauma workers, people who supported these folks who experienced political violence. So again, not the person experiencing the trauma themselves, but the folks around them, right? And what they found is... This phenomenon happened where they thought what they were going to find is people who were in community with folks who had experienced political violence and people supporting them like nurses and therapists would experience burnout. But instead, these people reported feeling like hopeful that they could accomplish things in their life. They saw this person who had experienced political violence as um, like a hero and and. Like the 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 
resilience it took to um to experience that and still be whole and still see a light at the end of the tunnel as really inspiring for the people that they were in community with right so people made specific um references to being inspired by seeing other people's um fight back you know like other people's uprisings and i think we can we see this too right like uh the specific example i'm thinking of is how the when the students at mizzou uh had their president resign how that just like sent like this electric shock through Syracuse University's campus of us trying to really get Kent Severu to resign, right? Because we're like, yo, if the black students at Mizzou could get their football team to, um, to you know, strike, if the black students at Mizzou could organize to such a degree that their president has to resign, we could do that too, you know? Because this is just as big and white of a school. <laughs> um, and... And like seeing their ability to um, to survive, to achieve, we really got excited about that on Syracuse's campus, and um, like made our own efforts to get uh, you know Kent Snake to resign. Um, so that you know, you probably can think of an example of your own, but that's just the one that I thought of about vicarious resilience. We feel more able to win when we see folks like us, um, bounce back, right? (laughs) Um, We feel like we can um, do more. And so I just wanted to offer this to us because the onslaught is never ending, it seems like. I feel like every day there's another person to remember, to mourn. There's another, um, you know, mass shooting or tragedy. But we also have to remember that... the. Every day, we are finding new ways to um, dismantle and subvert the systems that set this thing up like this in the first place. Every day, we are learning from each other's survival. Like, my um, my struggle might be different than somebody else's, but all, all of those bridges that we build across difference give us even stronger um, bounce-back ability, resilience, Right? Um, And so how to make this really concrete, because I didn't just want to offer vicarious resilience and be like, yeah, so, you know, the same way we get fatigued from hearing the sad parts, you know, just look at how, how much we're surviving. It's like, no, I was thinking specifically vicarious resilience. If you're feeling like you're struggling with a lot of anxiety, struggling with a lot of depression right now, I really want you to reach out to folks who are different, differently um, oppressed than you and ask, what, like, how do they get through the day? How do they make the misery less impactful? Um, we can learn from each other's strengths, right? And I think Nikita talked about um, like treating our people like our people. We have to start seeing more people as our people. Um, and I think the way we can do that is from learning about how each other survive these struggles. How do we get through the days? <laughs> how do we make it more bearable? Um, and I think this is a time more than ever to ask someone that this might be connected to my mental moment after all. I was thinking it was kind of disjointed, but you could reconnect with somebody just off of some like, hey, you know, I saw you posted that that cute picture or that very relatable um, that very relatable meme. I'm just wondering, you know, how you doing? How are you getting through the days? What makes things feel like you want to wake up to them? You know, what are the processes we can help each other build to bounce back? So my goal in doing this as uh, the word, I guess, a faux word for this episode is, I hear, yeah, I hear a lot of folks talk about, you know, empathy fatigue, compassion fatigue, and I just want vicarious resilience to be just as um infectious and everywhere as the like negative effects of seeing each other's um struggles for liberation too so 
the same way we learn of of each other's, you know, misery, I want us to learn of each other's joy and survival and liberation. All right, y'all. So I'm going to move it on along to our topic segment. And the topic segment is just the, you know, queer potpourri, whatever doesn't fit into the other segments. And hmm, usually I don't do this, but uh, I'm going to, I'm going to really talk. I want to talk about this cheating shit because everybody cheating, everybody cheating, you know, <laughs> uh, I don't think anybody is surprised that uh, Quavo was cheating on Saweetie. Like, I don't think, you know. And when I say I don't think anybody's surprised, it's like, can we really expect Offset's homie to be (laughs) a fateful stand-up, whatever? But, um, uh, you know, this whole Derek Jackson thing, which is hilarious to me. Hilarious because, uh, (laughs) shout out to Black Auburn and Tuskegee University uh, students between 2007-2011 who knew him. Because I was like, I, first of all, this is how out of touch I am with the heteros. I didn't even know that Derek was like a low-key celebrity now and had like best-selling books and shit. I'm like, really? <laughs> like, we we went to school together. And, um, well, he was at Skegee and I was at Auburn. But Black Auburn and Tuskegee had so much overlap. Um, and I, it just shocked me that anybody would take dating advice from this dude having known him in college. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. The point is that, you know, he's built his brand off of um, being a quote unquote good guy and, uh, <laughs> and been out here whole ass cheating on his wife. So everybody cheating, right? And I really wish I could say, heteros, are y'all okay? But this is this is a phenomenon amongst us queers as well. Um I I mean cheating cheating is a mess. So I don't want to just talk about this in like a I think everybody has pretty much like exhausted the like pop culture <laughs> parts of talking about this. I really I I think anyway, I have like a different take as a couples therapist, as somebody who works with couples, relationships, partnerships, you know, because I've also seen folks who are like non-monogamous. So, but in a therapeutic way, right? So I think I have some thoughts in my head about all this cheating going on and, (laughs) and wanted to talk about that in this episode's topic. So first of all, this thing that I saw that really bothered me was Oh, if 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 Sweetie gets cheated on, if Beyonce got cheated on, then like it's no hope for the rest of us. Like we just need to expect to be cheated on. Like people just gonna cheat. That's just, especially men. If you dating men, um, that's just what they gonna do. Okay. First of all, cheating is not about somebody's looks or or their desirability to the other person. Um. It really bothers me that that I hear mostly femme folks, women, say that, um, oh my gosh, if Beyonce got cheated on, if Holly Berry got cheated on, if Saweetie got cheated on, then of course I'm going to get cheated on. No, because it's not about the person who was um, cheated on. You know, it's about the person doing the cheating. Cheating is about choosing to break the contract that you agreed to in your relationship. That's it. It's not about you know, any attributes of the partner that was cheated on. I don't think we need to be evaluating the respect that we deserve in relationships based on how other women look. (laughs) You know, it's like, oh, I don't, I feel like this hierarchy is built into those kind of statements. Like, I don't look like Saweetie, so if Saweetie gets cheated on, of course they're going to cheat on me because I ain't even I ain't even a Saweetie. But I just feel like this is so negative for so many reasons. First of all, beauty is super subjective, and um, there's so many ways to be beautiful that you are Saweetie to somebody, you know? <laughs> and the respect that we deserve is not based on our physicality. It's not based on, you know, how bad or not bad or how many likes or whatever, whatever that we have. You are inherently deserving of respect 
and to not be uh, cheated on in your relationship. So that's my first thing. The second thing I was kind of thinking about is we get to set the parameters of our uh, intimacy and what a violation to those parameters is, right? So what I mean by this is there's no one-size-fits-all definition of what cheating is. And so what I really think the problem is, I don't think there's like some, some gendered phenomenon about cheating that like men are going to cheat more or that, uh, you know, masculine folks are going to cheat more or that if you're um, two same gender people in a relationship, that that means there's less cheating. Studies show, and also my experience is that that's not the case. (laughs) That's not the case, right? There's cheating in all relationship formations, regardless of gender. Um, I think what is the difference is that Queer folks talk about parameters of intimacy more than the cishets. <laughs> it's just like, okay, so what is this going to be? It, what kind of relationship is this? We have way more open conversations about that. And I'm not just saying this as like a generalization of like, uh, yeah, we do it because I'm part of the community. It, again, study show. I told y'all. I'm, <laughs> I does, y'all know I did my, my dissertation on couples, right? We does this. I does this. So... <laughs> So studies show that queer folks um, just have more conversations about the the contracts of the relationship, the parameters of the relationship. And so what that might translate to is you don't see us out here wilding as much when it comes to the cheating. I mean, lean away. <laughs> but, <laughs> but um, you know, there's just more of a conversation of what cheating is. And therefore, we're less likely to, like, break those contracts, right? So, I think that every relationship should have conversations around what is, what are we agreeing that cheating is? For some people, any kind of physical stuff with somebody outside of the relationship is not cheating. For some people, it's really about the intimacy, right? Are you giving somebody else emotional connectedness? Are you giving somebody else feelings? Are you introducing other people to your family? All of these um, like emotional intimacy pieces. If that's how y'all are defining cheating and somebody breaks that, you know, that, then that's cheating. If if other people define cheating solely as physical, you know, like if you kiss somebody else, if you sleep with somebody else, if you hold hands with somebody else in the mall, <laughs> that's, well, maybe that might be a little bit more emotional, but whatever, you know, y'all get what I'm saying. You get to define what the parameter parameters of intimacy is for your specific relationship. I think a lot of us are working off of scripts, right? So, <laughs> so cheating means sleeping with somebody else. And what I found in working with uh, relationships in session is that, first of all, cheating happens long before anything physical. Um, Cheating, quote unquote, cheating, breaking the parameters that uh, a couple has not discussed because they don't discuss it, um, starts when somebody doesn't feel fulfilled in their life where they need to like, you know, Shake it up and try something new. Esther Perel talks a lot about this. She has a podcast called Where Should We Begin? I totally suggest it. I love Esther Perel. She's one of my favorite couples therapists. Um, That there's this whole cognitive emotional process that happens before physical cheating actually occurs, right? So we we could actually see all of those elements, the tick, tick before the boom. And we can address those. We can talk about like, what is this? Um, what what elements of intimacy are you missing in this relationship where you feel like you're seeking it somewhere else? Um, all these things of ways to actually have conversations about the parameters of what's what's breaking it, what's going too far, and what feels like it's still respecting the relationship. And the last thing I wanted to say about cheating, um, I feel like this this might get muddy, but I'm going to try to keep it. Um, Cheating doesn't always have to be the end of a relationship. Um, 
And the thing that always stands out to me is particularly in relationships where there's a man who has cheated and the woman who he's in a relationship with decides to stay, um, that there's always this backlash on her, like like she's less intelligent or thinks less of herself for staying in a relationship where cheating occurred. Um, I just don't think that, ugh, I just don't think we should be doing this. And even, I mean, even in relationships that aren't like, you know, straight relationships, I see this happen a lot in community too. Like, you know, I've, I've been cheated on and I, that has not always been a, a, a complete deal breaker for me. Um, to me, the the thing about cheating is the rupture in the respect for myself um, and the relationship and the trust, right? So all of the like lying and deceit that goes into cheating, those are the things that feel most hurtful to me. And so if someone is willing to to actively, you know, be accountable for um the disrespect of the relationship, the disrespect of me and the dishonesty that went into the cheating, then I don't think that always has to be a be all end all final um, to a relationship. For the, the majority of our relationship, you were a faithful, committed partner in whatever way we defined that. So I just don't think that you have to, you know, throw it all away just because cheating has occurred. Now, I think if cheating is a lot is a like a larger symptom of other types of dishonesty, disrespect and deceit in the relationship, then ooh, you might need to let that go. But <laughs> but if you feel like this person can actually be accountable for their um, behavior, y'all have a conversation about cheating and how you're defining it and what this looks like and how y'all gonna move forward I do think it's possible to rebuild and stay connected after um cheating has occurred in a relationship and that one both or more partners don't have to be quote-unquote stupid to stay in a relationship where cheating has happened I just don't I don't think that's you know the case and the reason why I said that might get muddy is because I do think that people who cheat maybe need to do some um, internal evaluation of themselves. Like if you are a serial cheater, um, you know, where you're constantly cheating on partners, maybe you should explore other relationship formations or just be honest with what it is that you want, (laughs) what it is that you want out of relationships. Maybe you don't want to be, um, to be exclusive or attached uh, sexually, right? So that you want to be able to do that with as many people that feels fulfilling for you. But yeah, I would just say like question where that's coming from. Is it that, you know, you're trying to force yourself into the box of monogamy and monogamy really isn't a box that fits for you? Is it, uh, you know, this deeper search for intimacy and connection that you feel like you can't find because you're not intimate or connected with yourself. You know, <laughs> you don't know who you are. So you out here seeking pieces to uh, puzzle together to make a person and all these other people and all these other intimate connections. So I would just say, if you are somebody who has seriously and serially cheated, just give it some pause and think about why that might be. So, those are my thoughts on cheating. This I feel like cheating has just been in the air these last few few weeks. I don't know what y'all got going on. Why relationships <laughs> ships are in peril? In peril, y'all. Um, but let me know what y'all think about cheating. Um, use the hashtag queerwoc to let me know, or just at me. You know, at queerwalkpod. Let me know what y'all think about cheating. All right, y'all. So I'm going to move on along to Curved Chronicles. And Curved Chronicles is the segment where we talk about our dating woes and wins and or your dating woes and wins out here in these queer pock streets. So um, so I was going to try to save this one for the next time me and Nikita record, but she ain't here, so she missing out. So <laughs> I'm going to um, read one that was submitted and I will... Hmm... What can I call this person? 
My students always make fun of me because I'm not good at making up fake names, like in my vignettes and stuff for class. I just, I'm not good at making up fake names for folks. So I will call this person uh, Claudia. Claudia. Yeah, why not? (laughs) So Curved Chronicles Claudia says, hey, I have a question. Maybe you could help. So there's a coworker I work with. She's older than me. Um, And I love older women. (laughs) The issue has happened a couple of times where I touch the door handle and so does she. Um, She she touches me in like a soft, touchy way or won't move over so that I make um, so that it makes me touch her breasts or something. She's married, though. And then a lot of emoji faces. (laughs) I don't know. Do you think she's sending me a vibe? Is Does that make sense? So, uh, thank you, oh, what, Claudia, that's what I called you, um, for asking that question. And I responded to you and asked if it was okay if I could put this on the mic. Because I would like to hear what folks have to uh, say about this. So, I have experienced this from, I would say, air quotes, straight, straight women. Um, and I'm saying air quotes because I think people talk about women's sexuality as if there's like so much open space for women to explore and like do cartwheels and be leaps and bounds and be okay. (laughs) But I actually don't, that hasn't been my experience of, of straight women or assumed straight women, right. Or straight until proven queer, they actually feel just as constricted and confined as um, like men do around exploring their sexuality. And I think that this comes from this place of like, especially when you off in like these feminist or social justice places to like not want to be a stereotype, right? Like, I don't want people to think I'm gay just because I'm for um, like gender equality or because I'm down with, you know, black feminism. I don't want people to think I'm a dyke or something. And sometimes you just are a stereotype. Like, (laughs) I know I am, you know? It ain't but so many Barbara Smith essays I can read before I start... Before I start to wonder why this resonates so deeply with me. And I think there's only so much challenging and troubling you could do of cis-heteronormativity, patriarchy, before you start to question this box of womanhood. And that also involves questioning this box of sexuality, right? Who you're, quote-unquote, supposed to be attracted to and deconstructing and decolonizing that. So I've had these experiences with straight women, right? Where all of a sudden, (laughs) the conversation is like, I just don't even know what it would be like to have sex with a woman. You know, and I'm like, ma'am, it's 10 a.m. Like, (laughs) it's a Wednesday. Why are we we talking about this? Um, And I'm the only, like, outwardly queer person in the room, right? Or the, like suddenly it's all this space on the couch, but we're sitting really close together and our knees are rubbing. And I'm like, why are we touching when there's enough room on this couch for four people? Um, Yeah, I just think that it's like this <laughs> this tightrope that straight women walk in, in um, trying to maintain, especially for women of color, trying to maintain maybe the only aspect of privilege they might experience as straight folks, um, but also trying to explore their desires. And as recently as last year, I was very willing to play these games with straight women. (laughs) I'll be like, okay, you want, you want to like, uh, like basically damn near sit on my lap. Okay, do it. We, you know, you, you try to have your thigh touching my thigh. We let's do it. You don't want to move your hand when I'm reaching for something and we end up touching hands. Let's do it. But, you know, this time in quarantine has really shown me, like, I feel like I, in those moments, am in a one-down position. Because if I were to say something, then I would be the, like, quote-unquote predatory lesbian, right? Like, oh, my God, how could you even think I was fighting with you? Well, because... You know, we don't both need to have our hands on the doorknob, sis. And, and 
Um, I was sitting here all by my lonesome and you came and sat so close to me that I could feel your breath on my shoulder. <laughs> you know, so it's like these these are um, signals, right? These are like ways that people will re- would recognize as flirting. And um, how I've sort of like moved away from that is I quite literally move away from it, like physically move away from it. Like, I'm not going to play these games with you. Like, <laughs> we, we're not going to do this, especially if it's happened recurringly in Claudia. It sounds like it's happened recurrent. Um, and so my question to you would be, how messy you trying to be? Like, <laughs> uh, I mean, I think you could, re- you know, return her advances and give the soft touches back. Or not move your hand when, you know, she puts her hand on the doorknob or whatever. Or you can just, like, straight up ask. Like, so is this a thing? Because I feel like I've been feeling vibes from you. Again, this is how messy you want to be because she is married. Um, And y'all work together. So do you really want that type of energy at work? It It could get real stale real quick if it doesn't work out. Yeah, so I would just you know, tread lightly (laughs) with that one. Um, Or I might just, you know, straight up tell her, you know, I don't really uh, date people that I work with or, you know, I don't have those kind of relationships in the workspace. Or a very, you know, safe way to address this is COVID. (laughs) Give me six feet. Why are we touching the same doorknob at the same time? You're supposed to be six feet back. (laughs) <laughs> or at least three, because, you know, they're trying to change it to three to send these kids back to school. But um, you want to back up a little bit? Make You could crack a joke about it of like, mm, I don't I don't see you wearing no mask. You shouldn't be this close to me, um, which is also something I've done. I've made a, I've made a joke about, oh, if you keep standing this close, you know, <laughs> something might pop off. <laughs> so, yeah, that's my thoughts. I, I feel like, you know... Um, compulsory heterosexual women do need space to explore their sexuality. However, semicolon, that space is not going to be me any longer. I'm, I'm like, you know, I'm in my 30s now. I'm like, I don't have time for this. I want people who are um, enthusiastically and explicitly interested in having relationships with me, a woman. So, so um while I fully support you having that space, girl, this ain't it. So that that would be my uh, advice. Is like, how messy you trying to be? You could just com- confront it and be like, yo, what's good? We, we done bumped hands and touched boobs one too many times. It feels like we flirting. Or you can give her the like, I need the six feet according to the CDC. Whichever, <laughs> whichever you feel comfortable with. Y'all, I don't know. I feel like, um, yeah, I'm giving these, I'm giving these suggestions of how to deal with straight women dealing with their sexuality. But I'm sitting over here with a whole ass crush on a straight girl right now. So, you know, take take everything with a grain or maybe a teaspoon or tablespoon of salt (laughs) from me. Um, yeah, I just, I ain't even gonna speak on that, but. I was really frustrated with myself. I'm like, really? Really? We doing this again? In my defense, this straight girl is very uh, uh, queer presenting. <laughs> I, I couldn't even say that with a straight face. Like, I think I think I'm not the only person who would read her as, uh, you know, a queer woman. Um, but anyway, that doesn't make it any less impossible like I get these you know I get myself in these unrequited situations like obviously she's not checking for me girl all her posts are about men she's straight she's straight 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 no matter how gay she seems so (laughs) so ah damn it um yeah so as far as you know my own dating life and stuff over here you know, it's quiet. It's quiet. Um, feel like I'm on hiatus, you know. My horoscopes have been saying a whole bunch of stuff around, um, you know, somebody from the past coming back or finding a new spark with a new person. 
I don't know how that's finna happen. I literally don't go nowhere. I go on campus, teach my class, <laughs> supervise my, my supervisees, and I come back to the house. So, I don't know. Um, I'm not out here on the apps no more. I deleted. I deleted, deleted. So, yeah. It just just don't feel like a thing right now. You know, the the DM situation is still very platonic and still very friendly. You know, my friends always show me love. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I feel like that's the only that's the only way to uh, be dating during COVID. Right. It's like DM sliding and the apps and I'm not doing those. So, you know, I'm off I'm off the market right now. You know, oh, wait, don't people use that to say that they're married? Whatever. <laughs> Marriage is a, a social construct. I'm off the market because I'm I'm committed to me, damn it, you know? So, um, yeah, not really looking right now. If it happens, that's great. If it don't happen, that's great, too. Um, I have been thinking a lot about uh, what it means to uh, date myself, you know? Like, mm, I think I there are some things that I'm like, Oh, it would be nice to have a partner to do this. But I'm realizing, like, I don't need to keep waiting for some hypothetical person to do these things that I want to do in my life. And that includes up to, you know, like, making decisions around family planning. Like, whether or not I want to be a parent. Um, yeah. So, I don't I don't need to wait to have somebody else. It would be nice, you know, to have, like, a dual income household to be making decisions like that. But I don't need uh, a dual income household to make those kind of decisions. I can do that on my own. You know, I can hold myself down. And, you know, I won't be the first single parent should I choose to parent. And I damn sure won't be the last. So, and I have a whole ass community. I have a community who would love to be, uh... You know, on tools, on tools, <laughs> um, aunts and uncles to uh, my child should I choose to have one. But yeah, so, you know, I've been making myself real fancy breakfasts, real fancy dinners. I've been buying myself really cute things and literally like getting it wrapped like a gift and unwrapping it for myself. Yes, I have been spoiling <laughs> and dating myself. And it's been cute. It's been cute over here. You know, vicarious resilience and dating too. <laughs> like, what what are the strengths I see in other uh, folks who are not partnered? Um, you know, I'm a I'm a step my game up uh, around taking pictures. Lizzo is for, is forever the mood on taking semi nudes, and I just don't know how she do it. I don't know. I mean, I'm sure she has somebody around taking the pictures, but do I need to get a tripod? My, I mean, my little, you know, automatic timer on my phone. Like, I just can't get the cute angle in time for the timer to go off. Maybe I need one of them little Bluetooth uh, photo clicker thingies or something. Because I got to get the semi-nudes popping. Um, so, you know, just trying to find all the ways to celebrate me and love on me in this time, you know. And... Yeah, I think that's it, y'all. Um, this feels like a mini so because it's pretty quick for a queer walk episode, but <laughs> I'm here solo. But I still feel like I gave y'all, you know, all the content. So hit me up, y'all. These uh these solo episodes remind me of the roots of the podcast of when I didn't have a consistent co-host and you know the bestie wasn't on with me but they also feel like the perfect opportunities for me to just come directly to y'all and connect so hit me up on all the things at Queer Walk Pod use the hashtag to let me know what you thought of the stuff in this episode and yeah this has been Money your friendly reminder that Blasian Black Asian Solidarity did not just start two weeks ago. <laughs> and I'm out. That's word to Grace Lee Boggs. <laughs>